0: from the front lines of the Green Rush. This is Green Entrepreneur, where business owners talk about how they found success in cannabis and how you can too. Hey everybody, welcome to the Green Entrepreneur podcast. My name is John Small, and I am the editor-in-chief of Green Entrepreneur. For the past 50 years, the Drug Enforcement Agency, the DEA, only permitted the University of Mississippi to grow research marijuana. It's hard to believe. But in March, the agency finally allowed private companies to grow cannabis for research, and they began reviewing applications for licenses. And one of the companies that received a license is the Biopharmaceutical Research Company, or BRC. And BRC now holds a license from the DEA to produce federally compliant cannabis products for research and development. My guest today is George Hodgen, who is the founder and CEO of BRC. And George is also a former Navy SEAL officer and an alumnus of the Stanford University Graduate School of Business. Smart guy talented guy. George was uh, commissioned as an officer in the Navy in 2019 after earning a BA in economics and Mandarin from the University of North Carolina. George, your bio makes me feel like I need to study up. And (laughs) this is quite an impressive bio. (laughs) George led the SEALs in combat in counterterrorism operations in Afghanistan and Southeast Asia. Thank you so much for your service, George. And thank you so much for
1: coming onto the show. My pleasure. It's an honor to be with you, and thanks for having me.
0: So let's start first with what I'm sure everybody wants to find out. What What did you do for the for the Navy SEALs? What, what kind of operations did you partake in?
1: A lot of counterterrorism work in Afghanistan in 2012 and 2013 time frame. So our team had local Afghan partners, Afghan special forces, Afghan army, Afghan police that we would train and then take out on operations to target Taliban and Al-Qaeda. In the hopes that it would deny them safe havens, such that the government of Afghanistan could become self-sufficient and sustain themselves over time. Clearly, given recent developments, it's a tenuous situation, sort of at best. But I and I know my teammates are really proud of the work we did there.
0: Well, thank you again. And and it's interesting you made this transition, you know, after the seals into researching uh, cannabis. I'm wondering, talk to us about the origin of that of that transformation in your in your life and your career.
1: I left the military and was at grad school at Stanford and got involved in the healthcare of a very, very close friend of mine who was a a fellow Navy special operations veteran and teammate. And this individual was quickly becoming a statistic, like effectively everybody in the country or the cannabis industry certainly um, is well aware of around PTSD, opioid addiction, et cetera. And uh, what my friend realized was he wanted an alternative healthcare treatment. He was sick of the traditional cocktails. He was being described, prescribed the way they made him feel, et cetera. And so, as I was involved in my friend's healthcare, I was at the doctor with him at the VA, the Veterans Affairs Hospital System. And he said, Look, Doc, I'm at the end of my rope. I need to try something else. I'm going to give this medical marijuana thing. And this is in California, 2016, 2017. I'm going to give this medical marijuana thing a shot. Can you just tell me where to get it, how much to use? And that really piqued my interest. This is a conservative guy. We hadn't discussed cannabis use. Certainly wasn't as um, accepted as it is today, although certainly lot lots left to do on the acceptance front. But it really surprised me. Uh, and the doctor said, look well, son, at the end of the day, it's not gonna kill you, but for me as a physician to actually tell you how to dose it, prescribe it, how it's gonna interact with the other meds would be really irresponsible because we just don't have enough research to do that. And I sort of peeked up and said, wait a minute. So Jeff Sessions says this stuff's worse than heroin. Meanwhile, I can give it get it delivered to my dorm room through an app called Ease, well, you know, like Uber Eats, in about five minutes. What do you mean you're not studying this as a doctor? Everyone's claiming it's good for everything under the sun. We have a duty to understand this and see if it's right and appropriate for some people. And if so, let's maximize the good. And this doctor's response set me out on the path to found BRC to produce federally legal cannabis that could be used in legitimate research at universities, government trials, biotech companies, etc.
0: And this is this has been a, an issue that we've talked about before on the show, and that. And I'm so grateful that the DEA has finally opened up the research to companies like yours, because up until this point, the reason there's not a lot of research is because it isn't federally legal. And so therefore it was difficult to study it in a legitimate way. Can you explain the sort of what the controversy or what the challenge and the obstacle was in the fact that it isn't federally legal? And then that's why there hasn't been as much research as say in other, other, for, for other drugs or plants?
1: So despite the fact that 200 million American consumers or cannabis users can access cannabis legally in their state, but illegally at the federal level, research institutions, meaning biotech, pharma, CPG, and universities, they cannot break federal law because they're they're regulated by the feds, not as a consumer in their state. So they can't simply go to a dispensary and purchase cannabis, bring it back onto the university campus, and then dole it out or dispense it they have to go through the DEA to receive a controlled substance permit and receive controlled substance permission to do cannabis research. Historically, as you pointed out, for nearly 60 years, the DEA only had one organization that was allowed to produce cannabis legally that could be used in a university setting or a biotech setting, a hospital setting. Their products are widely reported to not be safe or useful, and they certainly don't match the potency or the form factor that, you know, we certainly see in California in the dispensaries and frankly around the United States. And so there's a little bit of a chicken and the egg that I think the cannabis industry is very, very painfully aware of, which is doctors, government, hospital systems, et cetera, say, Hey, yeah, we hear you guys. Cannabis is good for X, Y, Z, but we need to see the research. Well, it turns out there was effectively no way to do the research because there was no way for these folks like doctors and, and scientists to access legal cannabis that they could do experiments, clinical trials on, et cetera. And so credit to the DEA, they, they broke through that monopoly really starting in 2016, 2017, but it took them about three or four years to roll the program out and that's the program we fall under. So we don't participate in state legal, federally illegal cannabis. We we're not allowed by the DEA to participate in the medicinal or adult use markets rather we are exclusively allowed to uh, produce controlled substances for research uh, research and development. And kind of the analogy I use, and it's a bit of a crude one, so I apologize, but there's an, for federally illegal drugs of which cannabis is one or cocaine or heroin or others, people produce those legally at the federal level all of the time. As an example, you know, you take a TSA drug sniffing dog that's sniffing your bag for cocaine at an airport, as an example. Well, the TSA doesn't go buy that from a drug dealer Know, quote, under the bridge, right? They have legitimate pharmaceutical companies that are given permission by the federal government to produce otherwise illicit substances for legitimate purpose. It just had never been done meaningfully with cannabis. And so this allows cannabis to break through and rise to that level. And I think what certainly excites us is in order for cannabis to be rescheduled or descheduled, there has to be a demonstrated medical value. And the FDA has said, look, we don't care that people have been using cannabis daily for tens of thousands of years. In their mind, it has to go through the rigor of a clinical trial or through the federal system. Historically there's really been no way to do that. Now there's a way to do that. So that we think that there's an incredible opportunity, not only to benefit patients, uh, but also to educate lawmakers on the the real therapeutic effects of cannabis.
0: How did you convince or the DEA to accept your application? Do you I know you weren't the person making the decision on the other end, but do you have any idea like sort of what what it was that Impress them enough to give you this license?
1: I think the quality of our team and our experience and expertise, and frankly, our mission and our, our vision for cannabis helped get us over the finish line. I don't know that with certainty, but I can only trust that. Our whole team at BRC comes from the controlled substance research and development world. So biotech companies really pushing the envelope with controlled substances and with other drugs to make life better for people around the country. And I think, you know, we're very explicit with the DEA and that we're not putting the cart before the horse. We're not judging the science. We're not out for some ideological reason to just stick it to the man and show cannabis as a panacea. And it's good for, for everything. Our whole purpose is, look, there's amazing scientists in America and around the world and they should have access to great cannabis to do their research. If they find that cannabis isn't good for certain indications for certain types of people, we should know that and we should educate those patients. On the flip side, there's lots of instances where it's gonna be fantastic for a lot of people. It's gonna make their lives better. I think the veteran population is a great subset of that. And we, we were very clear with the DEA. Look, we're not trying to say that the cannabis is good for everyone, but let's go through the process, treat this like any other product and show how it's safe. And in instances where it's not safe, Let's figure it out so people don't use it and potentially hurt themselves in some instances. And I think our our lack of putting the cart before the horse and our focus on objective science, they appreciated that, I think.
0: Are you focused on one specific result here or testing here in terms of cannabis assisting people with PTSD? Is that your main mission to research that particular facet? Or are you gonna research a bunch of different parts of the of the plan and its effects?
1: The latter. Selfishly and personally, I'm really interested as a veteran and former special operator, very interested in cannabis's purported therapeutic effects for things like chronic pain and PTSD. I think there's a chance, and again, not putting the cart before the horse, but our country right now, because of the opioid epidemic, needs alternative healthcare treatments. So we want to supply the cannabis to those uh, researchers to where they can figure out alternatives for chronic pain and PTSD. That being said, We're agnostic about the indications that people use cannabis for. If you're a researcher and you want to do good work for multiple sclerosis or epilepsy or withdrawal, alcohol withdrawal, or cocaine withdrawal, we want to help you and partner with you and and provide you legal, clean, consistent cannabis to do your research. We think we're really, really at the tip of the iceberg in terms of the indications that cannabis could be used for, even if it even, and it doesn't have to be a therapeutic effect. I mean, we, I think that there's many instances where public policy and public health officials would benefit from more research on cannabis, if that's things like, how do we keep people safe from impaired driving? Or how do we show that, okay, just because someone used cannabis three weeks ago and they positive on a drug test that doesn't mean that they're impaired at that time it just means that they and they should be allowed to continue their work or their day job or their their to drive etc and so really the implications of this are really widespread agronomic as well how do cannabis farmers in California and elsewhere how do they appropriately space their crops out so that there's not genetic drift between cannabis fields that helps sort of the the small and mid-sized farmer and we want to be involved in all that research if it's federally legal and if it's science based, we want to be partners to those researchers.
0: So tell me how this works as far as what you decide to research and test. Do you grow the plant and then you work with third party organizations, government agencies, et cetera, to actually do the testing? Like who who decides what you're going to do research
1: on? Largely we do. So we cultivate and manufacture flowers, isolates and oil extracts. And then we can do some of that research in-house. Additionally, we can partner with, if it's a university or the government, if they need cannabis to do whatever research they want. we partnered with the University of California, Davis, to do some agronomic research. And in that instance, we simply produce the cannabis. We do some basic analysis here, but they carry out the research. If the product is going to go into a human for a clinical trial, meaning, okay, let's give, just make an example, let's give 100 people cannabis and see how it treats their, their PTSD, then the FDA will approve the protocols or approve the study of that researcher, but there's no sort of limit in terms of what they can and can't study. Like as an example, you know, in some of the states, we see a lot of legislation and advocacy, oh, we should limit form factors. You know, we shouldn't allow edibles or we should, or we should have THC caps or we shouldn't, you know, in terms of how much uh, an ingestible, how much THC it can have. The federal government doesn't really care about that. They just want to know that you're doing Good science, and you're following the law. So they don't really get into the weeds in terms of like what you can research and how you can research it. So long as you follow their guidelines. So it's it's really kind of carte blanche to do whatever you want, so long as you do it legally and ethically.
0: When did this all start? I mean, you're you're now growing, right? It's all it's all in process, and there's research happening as we speak.
1: That's right. Yeah, it really, it started in 2016 under the Obama administration, and this could quickly th- turn into a. Uh, Podcast therapy session. So hopefully it does. <laughs> hopefully it doesn't. But uh, it started in 2016. The Obama administration, under a lot of pressure from advocates and Congress uh, and even the executive branch, said, "Hang on, guys. This doesn't make sense. We've got one group that's a government entity that can produce research for cannabis. That doesn't make sense. Their products don't match what people are using in the dispensaries and around the states. We need the DEA to license more people or organizations to do this." Fast forward to the Trump administration. Attorney General sessions comes around. The program was sort of up and running and really gaining steam and quite exciting. And Attorney General Sessions effectively just issued a pocket veto for it and said, look, the optics of kind of killing this program and canceling it aren't great because it's science-based. It's not like there's anything sort of qualitative or subjective. So he just said, hey, DEA, I don't want you to cancel this, but don't process any of these applications. Put them in the desk and I never want to hear about it again. Really sad. And certainly I think about every day, 22 veterans kill themselves, some of which I'm sure is is because they feel hopeless and like they don't have treatments for their health care. If this program had started three and a half years ago, how many of those people could we have saved with cannabis? We'll never know, sadly. So fast forward through the Trump administration, Attorney General Barr comes along and take it or leave it, politics aside, hate him or love him. I think he was reasonable enough to say, this is really stupid. We should allow research to happen. So he jump started the program and it took, there was some minutia and legal stuff the federal government had to work through. But fast forward to 2020 and the, the DEA, Got the green light from the Justice Department, and really ramped the program up, and then we received our Schedule One production permit in midsummer of this year, 2021. And now it's off to the races, and you know, green skies ahead.
0: Now, have you made public any of your findings yet, or are we still in the process of of doing research and just take a long time?
1: Takes a long time. Still, still in process. We've made public some of the partners that we. Work with that we're quite excited and proud of. Washington State University up in the northwest of our uh, of the country is doing a ton of great work around cannabis and public policy and. Safe policy. That state is was really on the really right behind California in terms of legalization. Cal our university systems, the UCs. University of California has also done a fantastic job. Groups like uh, the UCSD CMCR, the Center for Medical Cannabis Research, down in San Diego, University of California Davis, all sorts of projects underway, and that look they're looking at things from again the agronomic impacts to products that you would kind of consider adult use and recreational. that really don't have much to do with the therapeutic effects of cannabis, but there's researchers looking at those things too. Okay, what are the long-term health implications of using a really, really high THC concentrate on somebody who's perhaps predisposed to mental illness? Will it will it exacerbate that mental illness or will it help treat it or maybe cure it? So all these things are in process. They take a long time, but it's really, really exciting. I think the the reception from the research community, the science community and the cannabis industry writ large has been really strong. I think who could argue uh, with advancing cannabis as a medicine and doing it sort of the right way and going through the steps that'll keep the feds happy.
0: And I think as far as a political issue, it's something, it's one of the few issues that both sides pretty much agree on. And certainly the country, I mean, all the research people, all the um, studies of the way that the Americans think about cannabis. I mean, they're they're totally pro-cannabis and this will just Help move the needle even further. Pro when we see well, hopefully when we see what a lot of us anecdotally have been saying for years, but now research can back us up.
1: That's exactly right. You know, I, I think an interesting point there is sort of in the 2016-2017 time frame when it looked like this thing was stalling. I quickly became had to become. You know, didn't really enjoy it, but it it, it worked. An advocate going to Capitol Hill and meeting with lawmakers, and something I observed, which I, I feel certain you and the listeners and viewers has observed, is 2016-2017 politicians didn't really have to have an opinion on cannabis. They could just kind of say, hey, I don't, not in my wheelhouse. I don't really talk about it. They can't do that anymore. They have to have an opinion. And for the prohibitionists or the folks that are anti-cannabis, that's not really a popular stance. And so instead of saying, okay, I don't have an opinion or, okay, I don't like it, They now can kind of kick the can and say, well, show me the research, show me the research. And so that's their fallback. Well, we're doing the research now. So we're about to kick another leg outside of your out of a stool. And hopefully that'll allow meaningful federal reform to take place because there won't be an excuse anymore.
0: Now how is this research different than some of the research that's been done in places where there weren't such restrictions, like for example, Israel, or I've even heard Australia. A lot of research comes out of Australia and Israel. Are you just taking what they're doing and making it even better or or verifying a lot of what they're saying? Are you able to do things that they aren't able to do in those other countries?
1: Yes. And yes, I think what's going on around the globe is really interesting. And as sort of a red-blooded American, it pains me to see, certainly in California, it pains me to see the U.S. getting lapped on the world stage when it comes to cannabis research, treating cannabis as a legitimate medicine. And so I think what we're doing, what we're trying to do initially is just catch the United States up. And then I think we'll blow right by everybody. We have the world's best scientists, the world's best universities, and frankly, the population that has seemed... Uh, to receive cannabis the most favorably around the around the U.S. and certainly here in California, I think there's a lot of whether or not it's valid. There's a lot of pushback around uh, studies that you see around the world from the U.S. People say things like, "Oh, well, hey, that's Israel genetically. Almost everybody people are very very similar in Israel, but what? So that wouldn't translate to the U.S. Sort of the you know the salad bowl of the world. So we got to repeat some of that research here just to convince the skeptics. Um, I also think there's just a, a mental Barrier, again, valid or not, that it's one thing to do a study around the world, but to do one with cannabis that's grown and manufactured in the United States, that's approved by the DEA and approved by the FDA, that is the gold bar. That's the highest, hardest standard to reach. And there's no arguing with it. If you have an FDA approved, randomized, double blind, placebo controlled clinical trial, and the FDA gives it the gold stamp of approval, you're going to trust those results. And so it really just removes any ability of anyone to question results if you do it the right way in the United States. So we're, we're really striving for the ultimate global gold standard. It's got to happen here in America.
0: So you mentioned you're growing in California. Who are you using as your cultivators? Because there's such a tradition in California. How do we know we're getting the, the most quality cannabis with your company?
1: Yeah, I would I'd put our selfishly and obviously biased but i'd put our production team up against anybody we've got some really special individuals with lots of cannabis experience lots of traditional agricultural experience growing things like strawberries etc i know strawberries are is not cannabis very different plants but the best practices from agriculture still do apply you know a lot of cannabis people say no 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 this isn't tomatoes and i completely acknowledge that but solid agriculture scientists and production folks assuming they have the right experience, can work in cannabis wonderfully well. And so our lead cultivator, we, we brought in actually from Canada, who had grown sort of to the Health Canada standards for quite some time and scaled federally legal operations there. So we're very proud to have him on our team. And uh, he's got a team reporting to him. that again, I'd put up against sort of anybody in the world. And I, I, I think the difference where I would say we differ um, from the traditional state markets is that our customer isn't as discerning about... As the consumer in the state markets, they, they they discern different things. Ours are not necessarily interested in like the appearance of the bud, right? If it if there's sort of minimal s- seeds and stems, that's okay. Whereas the state consumer could say like, oh, I don't want that. That's crap. What we focus on is consistency and cleanliness. So our product has to be the same every single time from every batch to batch for the science to make sense. So that takes a level of sophistication, but it's very different than growing for the consumer that says, man, I want I want sort of the hottest thing on the street. I want to try a new varietal. I want to try a new strand. I want to try a high THC or mid, mid-THC. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I think it's fantastic. It's just our, our customer cares about something else, within, which is cleanliness and repeatability, which is what the science sort of necessitates.
0: Right. Are you also growing CBD? We are. Okay. I feel like that—that's something that needs to be tested as well. When we talk about,
1: yeah, the, you know, and there's an interesting thing that, that we have found challenging. We're working towards it. We we think we'll have some breakthroughs probably mid next year. But when we're talking about science, you know, if we were doing an experiment on Advil or Tylenol or whatever, you need a placebo, right? Someone needs to measure whatever you're testing, THC, against a placebo to know that okay, the THC is what did this or the whatever your, your test article is, they call it. It's really challenging to find, as I'm sure the, the listeners and viewers that have worked in the hemp industry would, would attest to, it's really challenging to find a really good placebo against THC. Because even sort of the best strains of hemp have minimal, even if it's undetectable, most things have some level of THC. Then you get into sort of the 0.3%, the hemp, the not hemp. But the sort of the next breakthrough is how can you get a, a high CBD varietal that has zero THC? every single time. And then when you get that that experiment where you have a, TH, you know, a cannabis placebo against a THC, that's really going to be a breakthrough for the scientific community.
0: What have you brought? Your training as a Navy SEAL is so unique and special. What have you brought from that training into this business that you can maybe impart to our listeners, something that's really helped you?
1: The SEAL community is, I'm so proud to be a part of it and so honored to have served in it. I think it's very special and that it is really sort of the last and one of the last meritocracies in the U S nobody cares where you went to college. Nobody cares who your mommy or your daddy was. Like you have black farmer, white farmer, native American it doesn't matter. Like there's a full smattering of every demographic in America and you're judged on sort of who you are and your ethics and your and your work ethic. The only commonality between everyone is an attitude to never quit and to never give up. That's the one thing that that is sort of an unforgivable sin for a SEAL is to never quit. And I think folks in the cannabis industry, myself included, have an appreciation for that because it is not an easy road. Regulations change, the federal government changes. It is really, Hard to deal with. It's a hard business. It's hard regulatory. It's hard to just grow a crop. I mean, that's hard. And I think, and I try and harken back to my SEAL training that this is an important mission. And it's one that we believe in that'll change the face of healthcare for veterans and others around the United States. And so, at every time when sort of I'm in mean, that entrepreneurial, emotional roller coaster and you hit rock bottom, which happens all the time, as any, any entrepreneur knows, I try and go back to that never quit attitude. It's like, it doesn't matter. Today's going to Today will end. Tomorrow will be a great day. Get up, put your shoes on, and get to work. And it's that never quit, seal attitude that I think, you know, if if and when we're successful, it'll, it will be largely because our team has adopted a really persistent outlook.
0: Have you gotten some pushback from you know people in the military, maybe from your former colleagues about being in the cannabis industry, since it's kind of has a stigma attached to it? Have you gotten a little? Low back on that?
1: None. Quite the opposite. Much to my surprise. Yeah, I really thought I would, or I feared being ostracized. at the SEALs and certainly the military were very buttoned up kind of rule followers. Obviously, there's a self-selection for you do what you're told, you do what the law is, you do what your orders are. But... I have been shocked by uh, the reception and how positive it's been. I mean, just to give you an example, one of our one of my first interactions with the D- and with the DEA actually years ago. It started off very adversarially, and it was like, "You guys are a bunch of pot growing hippies. You're never going to get a DEA permit." I'm paraphrasing a little bit, obviously, but like that was the message, and it was very clearly sent. This is a Schedule One drug. We're never going to let anybody produce this. And over time, as we developed a rapport and a relationship, we started to get questions like, you know, after a meeting with DEA. Hey, my, my wife's trying, you know, this edible because her, her chemo is not working great. Or my brother does CBD after, after, you know, working out because his knees hurt, his elbows hurt. And so that's kind of the same reception I had from the military folks is that everyone has this veneer of what they think they have to do institutionally. And then you peel that back just as it, you know, people to people, person to person. And there's a great excitement from all these people, DEA or military about the promise of cannabis. I think everyone recognizes that there is promise and there is efficacy and it does work not for everything but it does work for a lot of people struggling people that need it and at the individual level people want to see other people be happy and comfortable and have medicine that works for them it's just at some point that institutional veneer has to go away and i think it'll happen and what we're doing certainly is kind of the first domino in my opinion to where
0: yeah well the fact that it's you who's doing it too i think is very
1: helpful i hope so I hope so.
0: You can tell me if this question is too personal. Have you used cannabis in your, before this whole experience? Was it something that you would use, you know, legally or is it something that you're more interested in on, in a researching perspective?
1: More interested in a research perspective. I have not, I didn't use it before this and part of our SOPs or that we drug test our employees. We have to, because they're handling controlled substances. So it wouldn't be appropriate for me to use it and ask our employees not to. That being said, I have used it not not necessarily therapeutically but just to see and it's great. I look forward very much to the day when I can sort of use openly and not feel like it's putting what we're building professionally at risk. That'll be a very very happy day. I am a patient at, at the VA and certainly there are times and certainly my, you know my doctors at the VA are like yeah, it's not going to kill you like if you think it helps you then give it a shot. As a veteran there are, and God bless, I actually do think this, the VA gets a bad rap. I really, really do enjoy and appreciate the VA and the DEA, and I'll get hate now for saying that, but um, they're good people like everybody else. They, I can go to the VA and say, okay, I've got PTSD, what can you offer me? And two things that I'll get is equine therapy and surf therapy. So I can get surf lessons paid for, which who's going to turn that down in California, or I can go horseback riding. There's a whole litany of other things you can get. And I'm not by any means... Questioning the validity of equine and surf therapy. But 33% of post 9 11 veterans use cannabis. I think it's probably higher than that, but there's a stigma around reporting. So 33% post 9 11 veterans use cannabis to treat their pain and their PTSD. That should be an option. Let's research it. And I, if I walk into the VA and say, hey, this stuff helps me, it's been validated by the FDA, let's go. I should get it prescribed. It should be paid for, and I want to be able to use it. And I look forward to that day.
0: George Hodgen, thank you so much for, for speaking to us today. And best of luck with uh, the by, by BRC, and I'm really looking forward to, to seeing your research in the future.
1: John, thank you so much. It's been, been an honor and I really appreciate
0: it. Thank you for listening to the Green Entrepreneur podcast. To find out more about Green Entrepreneur, you can go to greenentrepreneur.com or check out our magazine on newsstands everywhere. Check out our Instagram at Entrepreneur. We're also on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and all other social media feeds. If you like this podcast and you'd like to hear more from me, Jonathan Small, check out my other podcast, Write About Now. That's W-R-I-T-E, to get some in-depth interviews into the lives and stories of successful writers, how they got there, what they learned, and what you need to succeed. That's writeaboutnowmedia.com. Until next episode... We'll THC you later.